Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith, and today Callum and I chat with Ben Felton, better known by his online moniker, Ben is Running. Ben is a YouTuber, content creator, and a fast runner. Despite being relatively inexperienced in the sport, Ben has quickly developed into a high-level athlete and already boasts PBs, including a 67-15 half marathon. He's currently training for the Valencia Marathon in December, where he's targeting a 2.20 clocking. We speak to Ben about his training, racing, and experiences as a full-time YouTuber, where he's already amassed a following of over 34,000 subscribers to his channel. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Conversations About Running with Ben Felton. Um, ben, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're on him as Ben is running because that's just how I know him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> is it that? Yeah, I did have to suddenly think. Hang on, what's his, what's what's Ben's full name? Because I actually think of you as Ben is running as well, which yeah. which I think is a. I, I don't know. I wonder if that's a good thing. Cause it just kind of shows that like the brand recognition is there. Yeah, I think so. Whenever I go to like races or event. I get people just shout Ben is running at me so yeah obviously obviously the branding and the Instagram handle is getting out there so I don't mind that yeah like what is... the marathon the amount of people who shouted Ben is running just Ben yeah. was watching on the side <laughs> I was with him and the people shouting, oh Ben is running uh, well he's not actually he's just stood here watching you're the one yeah. running but <laughs> yeah so I found that I, fa- I found that quite funny Carl when uh so Ben Callum sent me a message just saying something like, uh, this is when you're at the expo at London Marathon, just saying, um, yeah. mate, Elliot Kipchoge's on, on stage right now, 10 metres away from us, and people are coming up to Ben is running, asking for selfies. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how does that sit with you? Like, how do you... It's I mean, pretty it, surreal, to you're, be you're honest. Fa- you're famous, really. Like, I know it's within a small... Yeah, so it's, it's, very, it's within sort of a small niche. sphere of influence, but yeah, it's niche. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, how, it's... yeah how, how do you, how do you find that? Because it's all it's still all quite new, isn't it? Yeah, it's very much so. I've only sort of been doing the social media. Ben is running, if you like, for the last year, but only the last sort of four or five months where it's been where I've actually been like recognised when I go to like park runs or running events and stuff so it's all very much new especially when people come up to me and be like i've watched all your videos i know your girlfriend's name your mum's name yeah where you live like what your (laughs) local park run is your oh you did valencia last week like they literally can basically recite my running life back to them which is yeah it's incredible um but also a little bit startling until you realize oh hang on a sec they watch my videos and it kind of makes a bit more sense is it a double-edged sword at all like is there a is there a negative to it like is there do you have to keep sort of things separate somehow and hold something back when you're putting yourself out there um I guess there probably is but I haven't really experienced too much of that um just yet to be honest with you do you find that so like when when you're putting stuff out there on social media and YouTube and stuff like that do you find yourself also getting sucked into using more social media because I know like you're in a position now where you're trying to take running well not trying to you are taking running very seriously and training for serious events yeah and like do you find that you get distracted by social media or or find it negative in any way or are you pretty able to almost treat it as work um yeah I think I'm learning that process a little Mm. bit more 
uh, especially more recently, like um, when I was sort of starting the social media thing, I would film every single race I did. So, for example, if I was running a half marathon, trying to run a PB, I'd take the camera along with me and try and at the same time run as fast as I can, but and try and document it as well. And sure. I've I've sort of learned that the two don't quite go hand in hand, especially when you want to give it absolutely everything. Mm. Um, I don't actually struggle too much with when it comes to the recording in in races or or doing sessions and stuff. It's just more the sort of the mental side of things. You're constantly thinking about what you need to film, and it takes some of your attention away from the actual the training yeah. itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think recently I found a bit more of a balance, especially with my sort of like training series. Um, I find it quite easy to to film and and document my training, and then then when it comes to races, I'm trying to focus in on them a little bit more and not just doing it for a contents content's sake basically sure. I, I saw you filmed a bit of your 67 15 race yeah, at, yeah. Uh, at copenhagen i saw you you at least filmed the start of it didn't you yeah yeah i took the camera out with me um put it in my back pocket i literally filmed the start and maybe probably two or three clips around the the rest of it so maybe that would have accounted to maybe two or three seconds of, of time lost, but on the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter too much. Um, what, what, pace, what pace is 67.15 in per mile or kilometre? Uh, three, 3.10, 3.11, so just yeah, over five-minute miles. That's pretty good for while See, that's, film. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's not easy to, just to say, oh, I just, I just put it in my back pocket. Like, that's not that easy at 3.10 per <laughs> kilometre, is it? It's not easy, no. And I, like I, was, I, was on, I was on the treadmill. Practice. I was on the treadmill this morning at six thirty mile in. Yeah, and it was hard work. Like some songs, kept, the song came on. That I thought, no, I don't want to listen to this. It was fairly difficult just to pick up the phone, put yeah. my like pin number in, and then change songs. <laughs> so yeah, to be doing it, to be doing something at three ten sounds uh, yeah sounds tricky. It's funny you should say that actually because the night before um, Copenhagen half marathon. Um, I had some shorts that I had not actually worn before that I was going to race in. And I was literally like pretending to run in the mirror and then putting my camera in and out of my back pocket just to learn <laughs> mentally and like remember where that pocket was so that I didn't drop the camera on the floor. So that's all part of the training. You get, you get used to it. Triathletes are training their like transitions and stuff. And Ben's just training his camera in and out of pocket. Yeah, pocket. <laughs> just, just as important to me as a, as a transition. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of on a similar on a similar note Ben do you find is there ever any conflict in terms of and this is along the same lines as what Callum has said that you're clearly now at a, a very serious level of running you're kind of you know yeah you know you're you're pushing the border of of, of being a really serious high level runner mm. are you ever finding that you're now conflicted in decisions that you're making either based on your races or your training where needing to produce content or wanting to produce content is actually influencing your decision-making process when it comes to your training and racing? Uh, yeah, I'd say so, because for me, the a lot of my content that does really well is focused around races. So, for example, if I race every single weekend, my views on YouTube will be a lot higher than, say, if I don't. Um, and that comes down to sort of, basically how much money i can earn per month so for example if i race four times a month i'd earn a lot more money than i would if i just if i didn't race at all um so in the past i have i have done races where i'm literally doing it because i know i can make a good youtube video out of it and stuff like that whereas 
now as I'm starting to take my running a little bit more seriously and as I move towards bigger bigger goals and aspirations I'm trying to put that on the back foot a little bit um, and I try to ex- explain that to my uh, viewers a little bit like uh, I'm not racing as much this um, training block because I want to go go all in on the marathon um, and I think is, uh, as is, long as is, I'm clear is, with that is, sorry sorry just to break in for one second but is, is Matt Reese not got um, copyright on that phrase when it comes to Valencia oh, marathon yeah go all in yeah, that's one of Matt's phrases, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might, you might owe him some of your uh, YouTube yeah, revenue now. I always say, um, get it done as well, which is another YouTuber Ben Parks is saying. Yeah. So I think I don't know. If, I'm not sure Sorry, if he's ca- the creator of that of that phrase, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, no, so I'm I'm trying to move towards less con less making content for the sake of making content and more focused on the doc on documenting like the reality of things like what's actually happening with my training rather than yeah forcing race after race for the sake of it really mm. uh, yeah it's interesting you said that because it is one of the things i noticed over the summer was how frequently you were racing mm. and i did i really I, yeah i didn't know if that's just because that's what you like doing or, or what it is but yeah it seemed to me there was a point where you were uh, i know 1500s and 3ks are a a, a bit different but it seemed like yeah. you were going to Watford on a Wednesday night then you were doing a club race on a Saturday maybe yeah. you had a road race on a Sunday then you yeah. were back at Watford the following Wednesday and, and I was just thinking like Ben you're too good for this now like you're not yeah. just like a yeah you're not just a beginner getting involved like yeah you're you're a serious athlete um so yeah, yeah. it's interesting to to hear that your perspective on that is is starting to shift yeah yeah for um, sure I mean I do absolutely love racing as well so I'd much rather do a race every week than a session, if you know what I mean. But I'm learning that you can't, you can't, it's not the same as like three or four weeks of solid training. You can't just race and expect to get into, into certain shape that you want to get into. Um, so yeah, that's I mean, how, definitely how, how, how does that process work for you in terms of training then? Cause I've never seen you mention any, any coaching setup or anything. Is, is this all kind of like self self-operated and self-taught as you go? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've always sort of been self-coached, self-taught um, from the from the very get-go. It just allows me to be nice and flexible with the content I'm filming. But it, it's also just what I've sort of learned to do over the years. And I've been comfortable with it. I, I feel like I I know how I respond to certain training methods. Um, and at the moment, I'm still really enjoying being self-coached. Um, and yeah, just that flexibility, I think, just allows me to to do what I want when I want really and I quite I quite enjoy that do you, do you like write yourself an actual program or do you just kind of take it day by day uh yeah sometimes I'd if I'm not like in training for a really key specific goal I'll just be just go day to day I'll follow yeah. sort of a similar weekly structure but at the moment I'm following a 12 week plan that I've written up myself I'm pretty mm-hmm. old school when it comes to writing training plans. I don't like to do it online. I just have it all on, all on paper and pen and pencil, um, yeah. and then I can adapt it easily and that sort of thing. So that's literally stuck on the wall. So I know what training I've got coming up, um, and it's all all something I set myself. Yeah, nice. So when you say you can adapt it, there was a period when I was self coached for about a year or so, and yeah. when I was writing my own program, even though I'd written it down on paper. I found it a bit too easy to shift things or move things or not do things for the sake of something else, which I wouldn't have done if I was reporting to a coach. Yeah. 
did you know what I mean? So like now, um, yeah, Hugo's coaching me and he, it's, it's almost like an added factor in my training that I know I have to report to him. So when he yeah. said something like, I'm going to do it, whether I have to like shift my social calendar around or skip something else, I'm going to do the training. Whereas yeah. when I was writing it myself, I found it a bit too easy to go the other direction. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, to be honest, the social media side of things, if anything, can sort of keep me accountable. Um, so, for example, with this training block I'm doing at the moment, I'm documenting it all on YouTube. So my first um, episode in this series was me talking through my training and I literally showed my viewers, like, this is the training I'm going to be doing. And it's it almost holds me accountable. Um, not that anyone is checking up on me, but I don't find myself like skipping sessions or moving runs for the for the sake of it. Um, almost, yeah, yeah, the social media side of things keeps me accountable because um, people are always constantly checking in on me. And if I, for example, if I don't have a day on Strava and I'm not uploaded, somebody will drop me a message being like, "Are you right? Are you alive?" On on the on the flip side, then, do you yeah. find that maybe on a day where you like realistically should take it easy or perhaps have a rest day or something like that do you find yourself almost being forced to do a session harder than you should have been or or running when you should have had a rest because of what you just said basically um yeah there's definitely been times where where i have had gone down that path but hmm. i think because i've always i've always done it it's always been part of my running um i've sort of just adapted to it and i don't really find that if like for example if i feel like i've got a niggle i'll i'm happily i'll happily take a week of easy running and and see that affect my like strava graph um <laughs> i'd rather do that than obviously get injured and and have to take lots of time off so i think yes it, it, it if i was to say it doesn't influence my training um that would that would be a lie but i definitely feel like i've got it under control if if that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah so talking about the the training then let's let's get stuck into that a little bit so you you men mentioned the other day i think when i was messaging you you said you were trying a slightly new training approach for um the build up to your marathon so just yeah talk us through that a little bit where where where's this new training approach come from what is it what are you doing how is it working etc yeah, so for probably the last six months, I've been following pretty much the classic Norwegian model of um, double thresholds on Tuesday and Thursdays. So, yeah, which if anyone if anyone doesn't know what that is, you can listen to our previous podcast with Simon Hallerhagen. Yeah, which, I know. Um, yeah, Vouch, it's a very good one. I I listened to it this week before coming on just to get a little bit of a feel for what you guys do. Um, but yeah, that's that's been my training for the last sort of six you're months not, you, you, you're not you're not you're not you're not subscribed and listen to us every week oh yeah of course episode. yeah i do of course yeah yeah listen every week if we actually put one out every week yeah that's yeah true. that's true oh yeah that's a bit, <laughs> bit of a silly yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry carry on there um so yeah i've been i've been doing that training for the last six months and it's been really good i've seen some some crazy results over the sort of short distance, five, ten, and even half marathon have, have all come tumbling down. Um, um, but with my first marathon this year in in Copenhagen, um, I just felt that the the threshold training was great. It got me into a, got me into a shape and fitness that I've never been in before. But it sort of neglected some of the longer stuff that I need 
in that marathon build-up. So I was never doing any big marathon-type sessions like uh, 3 by 5 k 7 by 3 k that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So this time, this time round, I've sort of, I didn't want to sort of give up on the, the threshold stuff um, because I've learned to love it and it, I've seen some really good results. So I've basically kept my Tuesdays as a double threshold training day. And then on, it was originally Thursday, but now Fridays, I do a larger sort of marathon focused session, which is usually around 20 to 30 kilometers of, of marathon intensity volume yeah okay and and have you started doing that now already in in like kind of as you prepare for the marathon or is are these sessions going to change as you get closer to race day uh no I've pretty much implemented it from from, from week one um yeah, okay. the marathon sessions on friday have slowly increased in volume um and they've become a lot more focused on dialing into that what hopefully is is race pace um yeah. What, what going for race pace then? Uh, the goal is three nineteen per kilometer, three three twenties, which will end up at a two twenty marathon. Yeah, okay, five twenty per two, mile. Yeah, yeah, two, yeah. Two, like so. The goal is two twenty or two nineteen fifty nine. Two twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so you'll be happy. If, so you'll be happy with a high two twenty. Yeah, as long as I can say, okay. as long as I could say, I'm a two twenty marathoner. That is, that's the goal. Um, maybe breaking it would be incredible, but. <laughs> I'm not putting that's not the the goal in my head if you know what I mean mm. so so being being self-coached and being relatively new to the sport still like yeah. everything you're saying about training sounds to me really sensible and and really good stuff like where's it all coming from like how, how like how if you've not had a coach how do you know kind of like this this sort of stuff yeah like how to put this program together I get asked this quite a lot really um and it's hard to put it down to one thing um i guess it's watching youtube videos it's from reading it's from listening to what my teammates have done at various different athletics clubs um so when i first got into running actually i was living in sweden and i first got introduced to the double threshold stuff over there um by yeah, a guy. We, we, uh, right. we met one of your mates the other day victor yeah with okay. one of my yeah. friends victor yeah, he um, came and trained with us at uh, Bristol Track Club, and yeah, he, he, so it was quite weird actually. He said that you, you guys knew each other like before you were even a runner. You when you were a chef, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, he 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 was saying that like literally one day Ben was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna quit everything and be a fun <laughs> YouTuber, and he was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, well, look at him now. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and yeah, Victor was probably one of my bigger inspirations in terms of like how I train I was seeing the sort of stuff he was doing and thought oh that's like he was doing it obviously a little bit faster than me but the training volume and the stuff like that he did I sort of aspired to do myself um and some of the sessions he he does I still do um and we used to have the same coach for a little bit um when we were running at the same athletics club over in in Sweden um it's called Friedrichshof um, completely Swedish. I'd turn up to to sessions. Is on... that is that the red and white stripes? I think so. Yeah, red and white stripes. Yeah. So I've I've done uh, I've done Stockholm half many years ago, and I remember one of the local clubs in Stockholm was was red and white stripes. Yeah, that would probably sure be, that was... be them. Right. Um, so I used to go along to their training um, when I was very very new to running and get absolutely schooled by all these Swedish guys, um, and they they follow a very much 
the sort of Scandinavian style of training where you're working at threshold around 70-80%. You're never really pushing it to the absolute limit. Um, are, they, are they are they seriously pissed off that it's now known as Norwegian threshold? <laughs> I think so. Is yeah, there like some yeah, there's some Scandinavian uh, yeah uh, rivalry going on. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not actually asked Victor about that, but um, yeah, that's where I first sort of picked up the the style of training I do. Really, is is from my my time in Sweden. I've just picked up little bits and tr- tips and tricks along the way. For this block, um, I spoke to a few people that have run marathons at roughly around the time I want to run and was like, what are, the, what are the sessions I need to be doing? And then basically took a couple of sessions from each person that I spoke to and implemented it into my own plan. So, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of, of how, I've, how I train the way I do and the knowledge I've taken on from different sources, really. What, what time so, did you run it at Valencia the other day? What time did I run it? Well, no, Victor. no, uh, Victor ran, I think he did Valencia half marathon, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was either 64, 65 minutes. Was it? Yeah, well, yeah. He's very nice. Yeah, he's, he's coming on well. Yeah, nice. So, so how are you finding, this is a little bit, this question is, what's a day in the life of Ben is running? Um, but a little bit then, this question is a bit more specific to, say, for instance, you've got a double threshold day or you've got a really hard long run. Like, how do you find sort of balancing high level training work and recovery yeah um so on my typical hard training days the the focus on content will be probably a lot less than it would be on say my easy recovery days where i've got a bit more free time and i can be a little bit more flexible with with things and the running i'm doing um so yeah trying to get the balance right is is sometimes a little bit difficult probably the hardest um aspect of of training and balancing social media stuff is um yeah figuring out when it's the right time to to fit certain videos in so for example i've got if i've got a new shoe that i need to film a video for and and record a video for it's probably not a great idea to do that on a day where i'm doing like a 30k marathon session because the two sort of won't go hand in hand um if you know what i mean so yeah getting the balance is is sometimes a little bit tricky but it's all part of it. Let's really enjoy it. How many how many different shoe companies are you like? I, I get, I'm not sure if contracted is the right for word. Um, yeah. Contracted for, but like, how many different companies are you doing stuff for? Because I've seen you do stuff for Puma, Asics, On Saucony. Is is this all like? Are they all contacting you separately, or is it through like an agent? Or yeah, what's, yeah. What's the deal um, yeah. So I basically have done some sort of work with pretty much all running shoe brands in the last six months which is pretty cool to place to mm. be i get to try out all different cu- kinds of running shoes a lot of them are through email they just email me through their agencies and be like we've got this new shoe coming out would you be okay would you be up for having a pair to, to try out and test and make some content around um so yeah i've, I've worked with Sockney a6 recently nike which was pretty the first mm-hmm. time I've ever received shoes from from Nike Direct, so I was like, I've got got to make sure I make some good content here. Yeah. Um, so you're pretty much. I'm not really tied in with anyone. It's just, just sort of work almost on a freelance basis with with companies when I want to try out different types of shoes. Yeah. No, so like considering good. considering how picky some people are about their shoes, and you know, like oh, we've been in the same pair of shoes for for years, and then it's a big problem when they make a a minor change to them like 
is that just is that just a non-issue for you? And because it seems because again, like you know, you could be yeah, in Puma, but then you could be doing a long run in something else. Are you just quite yeah. happy across the board? Yeah, I use a different pair of shoes pretty much most days. Obviously, with with daily with like easy running and daily miles, there's shoes that I sort of lean towards um that i that i get on well with and will go back to time and time again but then if there's a new shoe that comes comes through the door and needs testing out then then i'll give that a go i'm pretty flexible um with with what shoes i use and i guess that's probably helped with stuff like injury prevention because i'm constantly running in in different types of of, of running shoes so yes yeah, exciting it's, it's good fun i really enjoy that side of things as well what have you ever had a god no go on Cal. no i was gonna say i'm really interested about the uh, puma shoes because they look quite different what's your take on those ones yeah i actually haven't tried a huge um range of puma shoes just yet i got the you mean uh, the racing ones Cal? yeah the what the, i think that they like nitro or something yeah the so they have the deviate nitro elite which is their uh marathon racing shoe which a lot of the pros pros use which i haven't actually um tried myself and then they've just got this new one come out called the fast r nitro mm-hmm. yeah um, and i've been are you, talking, Cal, are you talking about the one that's got a massive hole in the middle yeah it's like it's, it's yeah. almost like two sort like a front sole and a back sole <laughs> yeah the midsole is completely separated yeah 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 it's, it's really interesting shoe actually i've been really enjoying using it for the first sort of few weeks i'm actually planning yeah. on racing in it this weekend so nice okay yeah it's it's it seems like it's going to be pretty much up there with the likes of the Nike Vaporfly in, in my eyes anyway. Interesting. Um, we have to talk about the Saucony Endorphin Pro 3. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a, a great shoe. Um, I think Saucony have sort of struggled with marathon racing shoes in the last few years. And the Pro 3 probably is the first one which actually basically puts them on a level playing field with the rest of the market. Um, definitely the most comfortable carbon rated carbon racing shoe out there um in terms of out and out performance it's probably a little bit behind still um but it's definitely got a place in the market at the moment especially for more recreational runner i'd say um it's going to be a shoe that i can recommend to a lot of people and and they'll get on well with it yeah but well the 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 comfort of it was what i i still haven't used the threes but like the pro one and two Mm. I like the fact that you can put that on. You've got a super shoe on and you can run fast, but it still just feels like a normal running shoe. Yeah, that's definitely the the plus side to this to the Saucony. Um some some of these carbon racing shoes almost alter the way you sort of your running form completely changes mm. with certain shoes whereas the Saucony allows you to run how you how you naturally would run and just gives you a little bit of assistance with that carbon plate. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your go to if you could choose any shoe like regardless of if, if a company's asked you to wear it or not if you could just pick a shoe from the roster for your marathon training yeah what what are we what are we picking uh it pains me to say this but it's still the nike alpha fly the original yeah, <laughs> yeah nice of all the sh- of all the shoes i've tried i'm like please can i find one that just works better for me as m- makes me more efficient um almost because nike is such a big player in the in the running shoe game i'd love to be a bit more of a i don't know an advocate for a smaller company or a more niche company but it's when it comes to race day and overall performance and efficiency the the alpha fly just works really well for me i, I feel um, like what nike have done very well is 
they make me feel like I'm at a disadvantage if I'm yeah, wearing for sure. any other shoe. Yeah, even if yeah, I, even sure. if I was handed a full scientific document that says this this shoe from this brand is actually better or as good as the Nike Vaporfly, you'll you'll be as efficient in this shoe, you'll run fast in this shoe. Then I look around and everyone's in a Vaporfly or an Alphafly, and yeah. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I think that's probably a lot of it. A lot of what it is for me as well, like seeing the amount of people that are using these shoes and are running all these times, like it's definitely going to have an impact on you, even if you don't, you don't think it does. Um, yeah. But yeah, nothing, nothing quite has toppled the Alpha Fly for me in terms of, especially marathon um, pace stuff. I can sort of, for a 5K, I, I don't think it matters too much what, what carbon racing shoe I'm using. Um, I've had similar results in, in the majority of them. Um, I ran my PB for, for road, road 5K in the new Asics Metaspeed Sky. Um, yeah. and that's that was a really good shoe and that was it was nice talking talking that. of talking of marketing and what nike have done well yeah i still can't for the life of me work out which of those two asic shoes i'd need if i needed either of them yeah like I've, oh, I've, yeah I've watched like not not to have a go at asics i think they're i think they're really exciting looking shoes i think they're yeah they're clearly fast because a lot of a lot of elite runners are happy happy using them yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea what you know. Cadence runner, stride, stride runner. I just yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. someone can fill me in, but I haven't got a clue what they're for. Yeah, and it's a it's a tough one. It's almost like they've they've based their shoe that they brought to market on the very top end, the elite end of of running performance, and they've been able to test the best of the best athletes that they have, um, and be, and be able to tell the sort of difference between each runner and the sort of one to 2% difference, maybe running in, in either the Metaspeed sky or the edge would, would have on the athlete. But when it comes to most people, it, it doesn't seem to have too much of a difference. And if anyone mm. was on the fence between the two, I'd say just get the sky, the cadence, the, uh, stride runner shoe. Right, uh, that's the sort of standard tech. one, is it? And the other ones, yeah. the other ones, a bit more niche. A bit more niche, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, oh yeah, one one quick question then. On on, I'm not asking you to name and shame shame anyone, but the way that you are sort of making money and the way that you are, um, yeah, the way that your you, your career sits. What hap- Like, what happens if someone sends you product for testing and you just really dislike it? Yeah. Um... It's actually not happened too many times, um, but when it when it does happen, um, rather than me put out a video and just basically slate it, um, I'll just send them a polite email back and be like, "This this product hasn't quite worked for me. Um, if I were to put out a review, it probably I probably wouldn't be saying too many great things." Yeah, um, sure. And then they're happier with that than than a yeah. negative view. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then obviously, I'm happy to send whatever it is back or most of the time they're just like oh no worries that's thanks for your honesty and thanks for not like absolutely yeah sure so i saw i saw one from uh from another another youtuber an american um yeah he's one he's he's one of the big he's one of the big dogs so uh, i'm sure people can guess who i'm talking about but he did a review of um lever which is a system that i i use have you seen lever it's like a thing you plug onto a treadmill to make it like a body weight reduction right uh is it the thing so I think I've may have seen it before, yeah. So it it, it, it kind of turns yeah. like a standard treadmill into like an ultra G, like not as not as. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they said, and I was watching this because I was thinking of getting one. Um, yeah. 
and he did a YouTube, he did a, he did a review video of it. I wouldn't say slating it, but just saying it's saying it's garbage. You're just like saying right. like, yeah, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Yeah. And then there was all these comments, well, and then like comments straight underneath it from the company saying, yeah, you've, you've got it on back to front. Like oh you're, you're wearing it wrong. And then there was this, <laughs> there was this, there was this massive then conversation underneath of whether that's the YouTuber's fault because he's 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 installed the product wrong and then done a yeah. negative and then like or is that the company's fault because they haven't made it clear like the product obviously isn't um user friendly yeah if he's if, if he's used it wrong um i don't know i guess in the end they still got uh they still got plenty of publicity for it it's just yeah not not necessarily positive yeah yeah for sure and with any of sort of review based content i do i i try to give a, a balanced argument of go through some likes and dislikes for, for every single product. Um, and also I, th- I find with, if I was just to make completely negative review about a certain shoe, it, it doesn't really look too good as on me as a, for, a, for the brand side of things like other companies mm. are probably then not going to want to work with me. If I'm like absolutely yeah, sure. slating the latest sock and shoe. It, it must be a little bit difficult then because on one hand you want to keep the brands happy yeah, but then your or your audience need you to be authentic. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's getting the balance right. I just my advice to anyone who enters the review sort of like content creation would be if you if you don't like a product, then it's probably best to keep it to yourself just for the sake of your your brand image. And if that means that you're not as authentic, then I guess that's just has to be a limitation of it, really. Mm yeah yeah okay yeah i mean i guess that's where the 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 successful content creators will find that right balance what what, whatever that is for them and then as Um, a viewer you have to sort of take it as take everything you watch with a pinch of salt like is this a sponsored video is it not a sponsored video has the shoe been gifted have they brought it with their own money and then you can sort of make your own assumptions from that really mm. yeah i i I think people get a feel fairly quickly for whether someone's Obviously, it's an ad, but it's yeah. an ad which is still your genuine experience. Yeah. Yeah. And another one of my sort of unwritten rules is I only work with brands that I've, so for products that I use myself in my training and that I get on well with, like regardless of the financial side of things. For example, I've had like um, dodgy headphone companies offer me like a thousand, two hundred pounds to make a, a YouTube video reviewing their product, but then when it when it comes to actually using the product, it was a load of rubbish, and I've I've thought now I'm not I'm not gonna sort yeah. of yeah. It, it almost... would be a very short yeah, it'd be a very short term decision, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's just not. It, gonna it, it, it doesn't take yeah, it doesn't take long until I don't know. However many people go out and buy them on the back of your recommendation, and everyone's saying, "Mate, these are terrible. Why have you yeah. told us they're good?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it I mean it's it's entirely up to you how much detail you go into on this next little topic, but I'm just really interested in, in, in how does this work as an industry? Um, like, you know, a lot of people, including myself, aren't really going to know, like, how do, how do you make money on YouTube? Like, yeah. how do you make money on YouTube? How do you make money on content creation? Um, are you getting paid when you do these like appearances or is it just for content? I mean, yeah, again, entirely up to you how much specifics you do or don't go into, but yeah, just kind of an overview of how it works as an industry. Yeah, sure. So, so the way I personally make the majority of my income is is through YouTube and ad 
ad revenue. So basically, um, YouTube puts adverts in front of my YouTube videos. If people watch those adverts, um, YouTube gets paid and then they give me a percentage of that um, of that income. And that is completely dependent on the number of views I generate. So it's regardless of the number of subscribers I, I have or gain in mm. that month. It's purely on the number of YouTube views. Um, and around 200,000 views on YouTube will get you around £1,000 of of monthly revenue okay across um, across across multiple videos like say so if you put out 10 videos and they all got I'm yeah not very good at maths yeah across can't even do it's across all the videos so even videos that i posted like two or three years ago if people then watch them within the last month i'll get paid for that in the next month's yeah payment, okay if that makes sense okay um so, and that, side so of that things, is that is a lot of that is a lot of views then, isn't it? I mean, I know a thousand pounds is a decent amount of money, but if you think of think of in terms of having a full time job, yeah, um, that's yeah, that's not quite a full time job, is it? In in most circumstances, yeah, exactly. So you really have to be yes, yeah, so, so, so you so you have got to be really good at it. Yeah, <laughs> you could say that. Yeah, um, and then a lot of there's a lot of other ways you can sort of top up your income through whether it be sponsorship or um brand deals but a lot of the a lot of the stuff i do is is gifted and all these events i go to recently have have mainly been unpaid and it's purely just exposure and then i it allows me to create content which then i can post on youtube and then create some income from that way um but yeah certainly don't make a lot of money from from what i do um and it's definitely if i was if i was in it just for the money i probably wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now um just because it's it's a lot of work for the amount of money you you can generate but then as your as your channel gets grows and gets bigger then the opportunities to earn a little bit more money um come up a little bit more frequently mm. and i guess you're earning so, money doing what you love doing as well so it's not yeah exactly even though i guess you like you said you're not earning loads then but at least you're you're basically a full-time athlete aren't you <laughs> yeah exactly it allows me to to train and live the way I want to. So I'm not necessarily wealthy in terms of the money I've got in my bank account, but I'm wealthy with my time and, you know, the ability to go and see friends at the weekend and not have to worry about work and, and oh. stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. Which is in my opinion, much more important, especially being able to do the things you love doing in, in your own time as well. So yeah. 100%. Wait, 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 wait till you got nursery bills to pay Callum and then tell me money isn't important. <laughs> Yeah, fair. <laughs> no, I, I, I am, I am in agreement as well. Yeah, I'd much rather have the, the flexibility to, yeah, to do my training and spend time with your family and and, and what. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm thankful that the YouTube and the content side of things has allowed me to to do that over the last. Mm. So do do you have any control over what over what ads people uh, people over what ads YouTube put in front of you or or like how many? No, it seems not... like sometimes I'm watching like really good quality videos and I don't see any ads and sometimes I'm watching something and it seems to be an advert every couple of minutes and I'm thinking this isn't worth my time watching yeah. this. So when I upload a video to YouTube there's literally a button you can press would you like to monetize this content and if you tick it it puts adverts on your videos and if you untick it it leaves it doesn't put any ad- any any adverts. Um so there's not really a lot of control you can have in terms of like, say, if I wanted uh, a certain shoe company to come up at the, at the start of my video, I wouldn't have control over what adverts are, are shown. Mm. It's purely down to the 
the YouTube algorithm and sort of targeted advertising, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the adverts are more down to the person watching the video than the person who put the video up. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, one person could get adverts on a running brand and another person could get adverts on, like, a car brand. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah, based on searches and whatnot. But and then what yeah. about uh, what about like what about Instagram? Can you make money on Instagram? Um, you can, but it's not as sort of directly correlated to sort of views and likes and stuff as it is on YouTube. So I don't really tend to make anything out of my Instagram following at all. Occasionally, brands will contact me and be like, "Oh, would you be interested in making a reel?" for showing us showing using our product maybe doing a short review um so you can get paid like almost per post on instagram but Mm. there's nothing that you can sort of get i don't know a per view type payment like you do on youtube so for me instagram is is just sort of almost directing people to my youtube um it's good to grow a following on instagram because then it can bring in more opportunities to to do other stuff but in terms of actually being sort of actually making any money from it you you don't really make too much money from it and that's just that's my experience anyway mm-hmm. i know people who do instagram like full time and they basically live off brand deals um but for me it's it's not really a way of making too much money no yeah um going go going briefly back to the the running and the training just because most people listening to this are listening for the running <laughs> um, yeah sure I, I had a question about so you said you're still um i know i know a big kind of part of uh, what you originally started doing with youtube and stuff stemmed from park runs right you were going to park yeah. runs doing park run videos are you still doing much of that now with park run and if so now that you're kind of you know you're a, you're a sub 15 minute 5k runner yeah. how do you feel at park runs yeah so um I started a series on on YouTube, basically going to a new park run every single week, and I absolutely love doing it. Um, but then, obviously, the constraint of having to go further and further and further each week sort of was a limiting factor. There's only so far I can travel on a Saturday morning to get to a park run. Um, so, in terms of the content side of things with park run, I haven't made too much YouTube content, but I still pretty much go to my local park run every single every single week. Um, uh, my local one is Molden in Essex and I go along with my little sister and my mum and we all run it. Um, some weeks I'll do it at like a, a tempo effort. Other weeks I'll, I'll just jog around or try and pace one of my friends to, to a PB. Um, so I'm still very much involved in the, in the park run community. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that's really changed much at all, despite obviously getting a little bit faster. Um, I could turn up to Parkrun every single week and and try and bang out like I don't know a 15 16 minute Parkrun every week but I don't feel the need to do that. I know some some runners of my sort of level and standard that feel that they don't want to post a slow Parkrun because it will show on their power of 10 but if you look at mine there's Parkruns anything from 33 minutes to 15 minutes on there so I still absolutely love Parkrun but um a lot of the time i'm just going along for my for my own sort of social community um desires rather than for the need to make content if that makes sense yeah sure and the, I, I, I was gonna say it looks like you get looks like you're getting there for the post-run coffee yeah exactly 
coffee shop. That's is... a good point, actually. How and where have you learned to make the like the latte art on your coffees? Because me and Gavin are fairly <laughs> wow. So speak, speak speak for yourself. No, I, I'm. Speak I would say I'm. I'm slightly better than Gavin, but we're still. We're, I'm still not that good. Yeah. So I've always re- really been into coffee and and drinking coffee way before running. Um, I brought my own espresso machine when I was at uni with my student loan and have basically been making my own coffees ever since. Um, during the lockdown period, I, I lost my chefing job at, at one point and ended up working in Starbucks for three months and absolutely hated it. Um, so I've always sort of worked in and around coffee and it's much more of a, a hobby and passion of mine now than it, than it ever has been. But yeah, sort of picked up latte art, but again, probably from YouTube videos is where I originally would have would have learned it you have to do a youtube video on that then yeah i've actually had a few yeah. people request La- latte art yeah latte art for runners yeah that, that'd be quite niche yeah. wouldn't it i'd watch it yeah i'd have to yeah I'd, I'd, be special... fair, I'd watch yeah if i got a, if i got I'd a lesson practice. from uh from ben is running on my on my latte art <laughs> i reckon i could do a trainer maybe do a bit of a <laughs> or a runner or something uh, just yeah to give it a try. Uh, yeah, uh no, but you can just just do the standard ones, but it's just a lesson for runners. Yeah. So why, <laughs> I think this why, why would why, why would runners require any kind of different type of lesson in latte art than anyone who isn't a runner? Yeah, no, it's not lesson. Yeah, ju- just that that's who the people taking the lesson are. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. you, know, you can you can just yeah. Just you the just audience is right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you can just throw in just throw in some running chit chat whilst you're doing it. Like, right, next time you want a little pick me up before your afternoon session, here's a little Yeah. Here's a, you know, I, I I can direct this if you want, Ben. It's all it's all yeah, it's all in good. my head. I can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it all there. It might it might not sound much yet, but I think this could be a hit. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure how, how the views would reflect on that one, but yeah, maybe <laughs> if I'm going to try. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I've got a friend who yeah. works for a coffee company. Actually, he sent me three kilograms of coffee beans the other day. I could, wow. I reckon he'd, he'd sponsor it. I reckon. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Nice. I've actually, um, I actually, um, I've got some coffee coming in for review from a from a brand. Um, no. So obviously, and so it begins. And so it begins. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I'll have a coffee yeah. sponsor by the end of the yeah. year. Ben is. Ben is. What? Making coffee, baristering. Yeah, <laughs> Ben is latte. Ben is latteing. <laughs> yeah. yeah nice. uh, right, Ben. Let's um... no, quite right. Yeah. Um, going, looking ahead then to won't keep for too much longer, but looking ahead now to Valencia again. Yeah. Um, what have you learned from Copenhagen that you're taking in either to race day or to 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 your training? Um, cause yeah, and obviously first marathon went, you know, well, I'll let you say how it went, you know, it's not for me to judge, but you're, yeah. you're looking for a fairly substantial improvement marathon too. Yeah, for sure. The first one was much more about just enjoying the process of training for one, doing one, not necessarily the goal was sub two thirty and around two twenty eight. So in terms of the goal, I ticked that off, but it was much more about just running the distance, getting a feel for it, seeing if I enjoyed it which i did which was the which was the main thing um but going into this marathon build i'm looking to take yeah eight minutes off my my debut which is a big big chunk i'm, I'm quite aware of that um 
but yeah my training has been a lot more focused this time when i was training for my first one i was still racing five and ten k um races pretty much weekly and was still doing training that was more specific to the shorter distances whereas this time round, i've i've gone all in as the as the welsh runner would say with um with marathon training and and i've been doing a lot more um volume at marathon pace rather than the quicker shorter stuff that i was doing beforehand and i'm already already noticing how much sort of fitter and more comfortable i feel at what should be Mm. marathon pace than i was before where where are we at with the long runs ben up to 36 kilometers was this weekend's so almost at full distance with with some marathon Mm. pace work in there as well or uh the majority of them are at zone in zone two and then if i'm feeling i basically do it on feel so if i've had because i do a big marathon session in the week so if my legs completely knackered when it comes to my long run i'd rather just get the time on the feet um whereas if i'm if my legs are feeling good then i sort of knock it down a little bit towards the end um a lot of my long runs i do with with club mates that are not quite running as far so for example they'll run the first 20 kilometers with me and then i'll go and finish it off on my own and pick up the pace slightly so yeah more more of a focus on time on the feet on the on the long runs and i'm getting the main bulk of my marathon sort of pace work on on in that friday session yeah sure so how how far do you plan on going in training at 36 is is the furthest i'll I'll be yeah okay yeah right but the overall overall training volume is is up to is 180 kilometers and i'm i'm planning to hold that volume for for three weeks and i'm just going into week three now so yeah the legs are absolutely knackered at the moment i had um it was supposedly a 10 mile easy run this morning and i ran 10k and was absolutely spent so i've got to go out again this evening and and top that up um but it's all part of just yeah listening to my body adapting the training a little bit um without sort of just jacking yeah to a certain extent like you can't afford to be tired a lot of the time when you're in marathon training as long as yeah. you know as long as you know where the line is which sounds like you've got a good idea of that but yes, yeah i think yeah the, there is a fine line between being tired because you're doing a lot of training or over fatigued yeah. because you're yeah, over training sure. but yeah i mean it sounds like you've got a very good understanding of your body and, and where you're at so um, yeah i definitely think that's one of my strengths is being yeah. able to tell when it's okay to push on in a session and when I know that I need to cut back a little bit. Like, for example, yeah. if I have two or three sessions in within succession of each other where I'm a little bit off the pace or I'm feeling absolutely knackered, I'll know that I'm overdoing it a little bit here and I need to be a little bit careful. Um, and I think that's probably another one of the benefits I've found of, of coaching myself is I basically have full control over the overall training volume and can sort of adapt it week on week out yeah that's that's definitely an advantage i think because well i already mentioned it earlier but sometimes there are occasions when i'm yeah like you said knackered but i know yeah. that it's written on the program so i'm yeah. gonna do it <laughs> yeah Whereas, yeah potentially yeah i think i think it's 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 advantageous if you are able to listen to your body and, and adapt accordingly and i think yeah just clearly you've got a good handle on that but a lot of other people i think would would struggle with that yeah, yeah. Like, yeah myself included I, I used to self-coach and that's everything that you're saying as a positive 
is exactly the same thing that I had as a negative. Yeah. Yeah. So on the, on that subject then, Ben, is there anything, have you learned any ways of, of dealing with that and, and adapting? Like you said, have you, have you learned how to do that or is it something you yeah. find naturally? And if um, you have learned how to do it, could you pass some advice on to people who. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a few things I've done to sort of manage the overall volume. And one of the, one of the key things for me is I do a lot of threshold work and threshold to me is not a specific pace it's it's very much a feeling of of perceived effort on the day so any for for example a threshold session for me can be anything from 310 per kilometer all the way up to 325 per kilometer depending on how I'm feeling on the day if I'm feeling absolutely knackered then it will be towards the, the slower end of that sort of spectrum so yes if you're somebody who sort of coaches yourself I'd I definitely suggest training to effort rather than specific pace. Um, and another thing I've I've implemented is training to time as opposed to distance. So, for example, a lot of my sessions are, for example, three by ten minutes rather than three by three k. Um, so it just allows you to to run more to effort than sort of absolutely having to hit a certain split because we all know if we don't hit a certain split in a session, it can be the difference between a good one and a bad one. And the reality of it is a two or three seconds in a, in a training rep is, is not, is nothing really in terms of the bigger picture of the overall training volume and the sort of the training benefit you're going to get from that session. Um, so I've yeah. Learned... Yeah. Well, ultimately what's important is what response your body has to the training rather than what yeah. you actually do. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I like to, to effort rather than pace because it allows me to adjust a little bit on days where I'm not feeling so great and also works the other way when I'm feeling good and it's it gives me the parameter to push on a little bit yeah right so yeah no that's fantastic information um a couple of not necessarily quick fire questions but yeah just sort of brief topics I'd like to touch on yeah um so first of all training related anything you're doing in training which isn't running uh, I do 30 minutes of strength and conditioning once a week and that is it yeah, yeah. and is that and again is that self sort of self oh, not, what's the word you're, you're, you're deciding for yourself what to do or yeah yeah it's something I've I've done consistently for the last sort of six to twelve months um, and it's kept me injury free so I I stick to that um, I do stretch and foam roll pretty much daily as well but in terms of other than running, that's I keep it almost to a minimum. I don't do any cross training or anything like that. Um, yeah, and I don't get mass, don't get massages, don't get any treatment, any physio, anything like that. Um, it's all all very much running. <laughs> okay, that that all that probably answered what was going to be my second question, which was, but maybe not. Um, anything external that you're doing to help with recovery or anything on that side of things. No, not nothing. Sort of mushrooms. I am taking, yeah, mushrooms. <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> and I, I take... you, you, you're 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 going to have to elaborate at least a little bit on that because that could mean different things to yeah different so, people. Um, <laughs> I take uh, CBD and um, turmeric supplements on the daily, and I've recently started um, taking a mushroom supplement called uh, Cordyceps from a company yeah. called Pure Sport. Um, and they basically allow your body to increase 
um, its ability to produce ATP, which has been found to increase um, VO2 max in, uh, in athletes that have, have taken them over a six-week period. Um, so, yeah, in terms of supplements, that's, they're the supplements I currently take. Um, was that was that an ad, by the way? Yeah, a little, little bit of a. Do we need to do? Do we need to do hashtag yeah, yeah. ad? Could you could you tell I'd sort of went into my corporate? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> trying yeah. to sell you a product, but again, these are, <laughs> these are products that I genuinely use on the daily and yeah, sure. feel comfortable talking about and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that that's other than the running, few supplements, bit of stretching, foam rolling. It's pretty pretty simple. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, then I've got a couple of, again, just quick questions more related to the non-running side. Yeah. Um, no, actually, no, that's not true. I've got two questions then. I'm going to ask you for two bits of advice for anyone listening. Um, one, just what's your best bit of general running advice? Someone who's seen you go from, yeah, starting, just going out, doing park run, you know, that, that photo of you after your first race and then comparing it to how you look now. Like, yeah, you can just tell you've gone from yeah, just a, a normal dude who goes out running into a, into a really serious athlete. Um, and then second part then is going to be best bit of advice for someone who's interested in doing the whole content YouTube thing. Yeah. Um, so I can actually answer that question in one, really. Very much with with running i've seen my improvements through the con- the classic consistency beats everything so um i think a lot of people underestimate how much like years of running can add up to sort of improvements like my training hasn't really changed in the structure and and anything over the last two or three years it's just the constant cycle of of training blocks of adding a little bit more volume of of doing sessions slightly faster because you're getting fitter that have allowed me to to progress and it's very much the same with the content side of things as well as as long as you stay consistent with uploading to youtube if you want to make youtube content if you want to grow your following on instagram you have to be consistent with it as soon as you start sort of taking long periods of of time up any time off any sort of um following that you've generated sort of almost depletes over time people just don't are not interested because they haven't seen seen your face pop up basically um but i definitely think there's there's a like almost an untapped industry for um for runners out there mainly of of runners that are of a higher standard than myself so knocking on the elite um if they're sub elite or elite that there's a lot of people that i know that could be doing more in terms of um content production that would allow them to make not only more money but just grow their following and and grow mm. their attractiveness to brands when it comes to sponsorship just by documenting their training a little bit more i think yeah i mean i was thinking i don't want to take up sort of too much more of your time ben, but you, you've touched on a really interesting topic there because it's something that comes up time and time again if you are talking to people in sort of elite running circles is is yeah. how difficult it is to get sponsorship and sometimes people almost say with a bitterness like oh yeah they're getting sponsorship just because they've got just because they've got instagram followers they're not they're no good at running they just got instagram followers but yeah yeah, you're you're kind of coming at it from a different angle and saying well yeah but that's something that elite runners can learn from yeah exactly it's something that if there are elite runners out there that are struggling to get brand deals 
and it, then it probably isn't down to their running attributes it's more that they're just not as attractive to certain brands because they don't have the same sort of influence on the on the market at the end of the day all these brands that are looking to sponsor athletes are looking for people to sell their products to promote their products to a wide audience and if you haven't got that audience yourself then you're just not going to be as attractive to to these brands as say somebody who's running i don't know 10 seconds slower over the 5k um mm. yeah i i think that's i think that's a really good point and and i think people i think it's easy to forget that these brands only sponsor runners because there's something in it for their bottom line like it's not yeah. a charity and they don't have an obligation to give money to fast runners yeah they're doing it so that those runners promote them um in, yeah. in, in one way or another and that's that's definitely the trend i've i've seen since i've been sort of in the running industry and community that that brands are looking to work almost more with influencers than they are for with elite out and out elite athletes that don't post anything on social media so yeah i think there's definitely something to take away there that if if people are aspiring to become elite athletes to do this as their full-time job then yeah their social media side of things needs to be almost a priority as as well as as their training as well it's another business opportunity for you yeah <laughs> coach, ben, coach elite athletes social media yeah. influences exactly yeah. ben is running's social media academy <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh ben from me that's that's all i don't know if callum's got any any final questions or if we're happy to wrap up there yeah no that was great thank you very much ben really yeah interesting. that's that's uh yeah, yeah absolutely thank brilliant. You very um, much i would imagine most people listening to this are already following you but where if they're not you know where can where can people find you online yeah, on Instagram and YouTube are my main platforms, and it's all Ben is run. Ben is running. Um, we'll take you to my to my um, platforms. Awesome, thanks, Ben. Oh, well, thank you very what, much. What, what oh, can we actually, what's the next video? What can we expect coming up next? Next video, m- much more of the um, training series. I've got another five episodes in my road to Valencia um, training series. A couple of shoe reviews coming in the next few weeks as well um yeah i'd like to keep it interesting and i've got a 10k road race this weekend so we'll see how i i get on competing yeah that that was yeah that was going to be my question that you'd mentioned you were racing this weekend i was gonna say what uh what have you got this weekend yes um the essex 10k road championships the billericay 10k (laughs) there we go (laughs) expecting a strong field uh yeah stronger than than some years so it'll be interesting to see how well i do with with my current marathon legs um are you are you training through or are you easing back for it yeah no i'm i'm training training through so could go either way really we'll see (laughs) right ben thank you i really appreciate you taking taking time to speak to us um and yeah everyone keep an eye out for uh for ben's youtube series and let's see how he gets on in valencia awesome thank you very much guys nice speaking to you cheers ben Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. We are the people behind the Kenya experience and training focus camps. Training camps for runners of all levels in Kenya and the United Kingdom. To find out more about Running Trips, head to our website at www.runningtrips.co.uk or follow us on Insta at running underscore 
trips underscore official. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Ben Felton. And until next time, happy running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith, and in today's episode, Callum and I talk to Jake Smith. Jake is a professional athlete for Nike and NN running team. He's the third fastest British half marathon runner of all time, with a PB of 60.31, set when finishing 18th in the World Championships in 2020. He's been running at an elite level for a number of years now, but shot to mainstream recognition when he won the Cheshire Elite Marathon in 2021 in 2.11 exactly, despite entering the race as a pacemaker with no intention of finishing. That day, Jake earned the moniker Marathon Maverick, and today we discuss with Jake the pros and cons of his Maverick approach to distance running. Amongst other topics, we discuss the newly announced Olympic qualifying standards, Jake's recent injury and his current comeback, his new coaching setup with Gavin and Joe Pavey, and his time spent in Uganda training with world record holder Joshua Cheptegei. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Conversations About Running with Jake Smith. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Today, Callum and I are joined by international 8 and 1500 metre runner Adele Tracy. Adele speaks to us from her training camp in Aten, Kenya, and training at altitude features prominently in our conversation. We also discuss Adele's love of interior design, her passion for her charitable work, as well as her decision to compete for Jamaica, and even delve very briefly into the Jamaican music scene. We hope you enjoy our chat with Adele, and thanks for listening to Conversations About Running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith, and today Callum and I speak to Ben Felton, better known as YouTuber Ben is Running. Ben has recently returned from a 10 Kenya, where he took part in our Kenya experience camp, and we discussed his experience and time in Kenya today. We also briefly touch on Zane Robertson's recently announced drugs ban, ask whether a crossfitter can keep up with Jakobin Gabritsen, and wonder if we should just rename the podcast Conversations About Super Shoes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy our chat with Ben Felton. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Running. Caleb and I are the people behind Running Trips, the company who organise Kenya experience and training focus camps. For more information about our camps, head to our Insta page at Running Trips Official, or visit www.runningtrips.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review in order to help us grow the podcast further. Thanks again, and we'll be back shortly with another episode of Conversations About Running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. Today, Callum and I are joined by Victor Schmangs, and we discuss all things double threshold. Victor is a Swedish runner who follows the double threshold program to the letter and has seen tremendous success in doing so. Despite only taking up running in 2019, Victor has a 10k PB of 29.30 and he attributes his rapid progression entirely to the double threshold system. So if double threshold is something you're interested in trying or are just keen to hear how it works on a practical level, then you'll hopefully enjoy today's chat with Victor Schmangs. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform. It's an easy way to support the show and help us spread the conversation to a wider audience. Thanks to Victor for joining us on today's show. I'm Gavin Smith, and along with my co-host Callum Jones, we run Running Trips, the company behind Kenya Experience and Training Focus Camps. For more information on our training camps for runners of all levels, you can head over to www.runningtrips.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at running underscore trips underscore official. Thanks again for listening to, to Conversations About Running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith and today Callum and I are joined by Norwegian 1500 metre runner Narve Nordas. At last week's Bislett Games, Narve joined the Magic Sub 330 club as he lowered his PB to 329 in finishing 8th in what was possibly the deepest 1500 metre race ever seen at this level. Narve came into the season with a PB of 336 and has now put himself into the top tier of 1500 metre runners. We talked to Narve about his rapid rise in the world of elite middle distance running, his double threshold training approach and his coaching relationship with Gjertin Gabritsen. Thanks to Narve for joining us from his training camp in San Moritz, and we hope that you enjoy this conversation about running. Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith, and today Callum and I are joined by Norwegian 1500 metre runner Narva Nordas. At last week's Bislett Games, Narva joined the Magic Sub 330 Club when lowering his PB to 329 in finishing 8th impossibly the deepest 1500 metre race we have ever seen at this level. Narva came into the season with a 336 PB and has now put himself into the top tier of 1500 metre runners. We talked to Narva about his rapid rise in the world of elite middle distance running, his double threshold training approach and his coaching relationship with Gertin Gabritsen. Thanks to Narva for joining us from his training camp in San Moritz and we hope that you enjoy this conversation about running.